Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. This is today's episode, 205 of our Truth Tidbits, as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. And we're continuing in the book of Romans, and we are in Romans chapter 8, a very, very critical chapter in the book of Romans that's jam-packed, and so we're taking our time to really dig in and digest chapter 8, because God has a good bit of meat in this chapter that he wants for us to understand. So we want to honor his word and do it justice. Today, we're going to read in Romans chapter 8, and we will be reading in verse 14 through 18. And I'd like to read those verses first before we begin. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, or the children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Praise be to God. Let's try to dig into these few verses a little bit today. Chapter 8 is really focusing on the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. Remember, this is for those who have been justified by faith alone. He talked about that in chapters 1 through 5. We saw what that means and how that is accomplished through the power of the Spirit of God and, and as a gift of God's grace upon every repentant sinner who confesses and asks God for forgiveness and accepts Jesus Christ, putting their true faith in the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit is now empowering us to live the new life that we were told about in chapter 6, but that we were also shown we cannot do on our own in chapter 7. We saw how this is an act of our own choice and our will. We looked at that some in chapter 6, but we also looked at it here in chapter 8 in the previous episodes. We talked about, for instance, verse 2 of chapter 8, how the law of lift versus the law of gravity, the law of lift is the superseding law, similarly to what the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, will do in our lives in the sense of overcoming sin. But the law of lift, remember, was available, it's available to any pilot, but every pilot must choose to engage with it in order to benefit from it. And so it's the same, similar way to the Christian life. The Holy Spirit's power is available to us to overcome sin in our life and to be free of its bondage, but we choose to engage in it on a daily basis. We do that by following his leading, by living our lives according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, after the pattern 
and in the likeness of the Holy Spirit's leading, not according to the flesh. And we also talked about how he renovates our mind. And now through the renovation that the Holy Spirit does when we engage and accept that, we have a new thinking, a new way of thinking. He cleanses our motives and our conscience. And he gives us a brand new lifestyle because all of our actions ultimately come from within the heart and the mind. It's what we've thought. Before you ever commit any sin, you've thought about it. And so the renewing of our mind is very important as well. Then in verse 14, we see here, we also saw about how we have to put to death the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the body. We talked about that in the last episode. And now moving into verse 14, we see how as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God or are the children of God. So in verse 14, he gives us a glimpse in the next few verses about sonship or adoption as children of God and what that means, the treasures of expressing the beauty of our adoption, the beauty of our sonship, our being able to be now placed into the position of children of God because of this spirit of adoption. He says, if we are led by the spirit of God, we are the children of God. That again is speaking of our lifestyle. There is a new lifestyle for Christians. We don't live the way we did before. We don't do the things we did before. We don't go to the places we did before. There's a change when Jesus comes into a person's life and they are made new and they are born again by the Spirit of the living God. There is a change. We have a new life available to us and a new lifestyle begins. Praise be to God. So now as children of God, he is contrasting here in this particular verse the spirit of bondage that leads us again to fear versus the spirit of adoption as children of God that allows us then a new position and a new relationship to God. So in other words, the spirit of bondage that leads to fear, that applied and does apply to every person who is an unrepentant sinner standing guilty before a holy God. They're afraid of death. They're afraid of standing before the Lord. And they may resist that. They may try to deny it. They may try to drown themselves in sinful lifestyles to, you know, alcohol or whatever it may be to try to soothe a guilty conscience. They may, you know, portray themselves as being holy and righteous and doing the good things, trying to earn it. Whatever, however form it comes out, there is that sense deep inside of them that they know they're guilty before a holy God. And so there is that spirit of bondage that leads to fear. But for every believer, every true Christian, we have been delivered from this. We don't have to fear God as a holy judge against us because we no longer stand condemned. Because of the blood of Jesus, because of the work of Jesus on the cross to pay our death sentence in our place, when we believe in him, 
and we put our faith in him, God, the holy judge, the righteous judge, can justly declare us righteous in his sight. And we saw all of that in great detail in the earlier chapters. So now, rather, we have been granted a spirit now of adoption. We've been placed in a position as a child of the living God, as a child of this just judge that now grants us the ability to call him Abba, Father. What a beautiful way to address our great God. We now have that ability because of what he's done to bring us into his family. We can now call him Abba, Abba, Father. The Jews know this as a very tender title because the father in the family is to be and is expressed as a very tender yet strong role. Abba, Father. Jesus even said when the disciples asked him to teach us to pray, what did he say? He said, pray in this manner, our Father who art in heaven. We have a heavenly Father and he is tender and he is wonderful to us as our Father. Now, I know that many that may be hearing this message, some of us have had wonderful fathers, earthly fathers, I mean, and some have had horrible experiences with fathers. Because you see, fathers on earth are merely flawed, imperfect individuals. Many may be sinners themselves and have never come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so therefore they are not the right example of a father. And if you have experienced that, my heart grieves for you and I'm so sorry you had to endure that. But there is a heavenly father to his children that is the epitome of everything that a good father should be. And he is our father for all who will believe in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We once were guilty sinners standing before a holy God and we feared him, but now we can see him as Abba, Father. It's almost like daddy. And we don't say that. Please don't misunderstand. That is not to be used to diminish his holiness or the reverence that we must have toward our God. But it does speak of the tender relationship as well. Just think about it. If you were one of those who were blessed to have a good daddy, how precious was that? I'm very grateful for the good daddy that I had on earth. And he was a good role model of my heavenly father to me. And I remember the closeness that I had with my daddy. To have God as our father brings us into a tender relationship. He is a loving father. He is our loving provider. He is our loving teacher. He is our loving caregiver. Hallelujah. And he takes care of us. He assures us of our family relationship. Paul even speaks of that here in verse 16 and 17. 
where he talks about the Holy Spirit, one of his purposes and one of the functions that he does in the life of a believer is that he bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He corroborates and testifies even within us that we are God's children. In other places, it's described as an unction of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us and within us. Isaiah 30 verse 21 speaks about that. There's a leading of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 verse 12 through 14 speaks of that, and I'd like to read that quickly. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you or lead you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit leads us speaking to us and guiding us. He'll speak to us. He'll he'll tell us, you know, maybe we're trying to choose where to go. And, you know, maybe there is a place that we used to go that we don't ever need to go again. And so he'll be there. Let's don't go there. Don't go there. Don't toy with that. You know, stay away from that. That's part of his job. That's part of how he leads us. He'll lead us to a place. He'll lead us maybe to the right church or to the right Bible study or whatever it may be. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. He also corrects us and chastens us when we need it. And I cannot tell you the number of times that I have thanked God for his Holy Spirit's conviction and correction of me when I have needed it. I I am very grateful that he does that in my life. And I want to read the importance of understanding that from the Word of God, from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now he's quoting there from the Old Testament passages. Continuing in Hebrews 12, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Praise God. There's good even when the Holy Spirit corrects us and the Lord chastens us 
and disciplines us. There's good in that. Praise be to God. And when that Holy Spirit convicts us or chastens us, 1 John 1, 9 tells us what to do. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise be to God. Thank God for the work of the Holy Spirit and the witness of the Holy Spirit that we are his children. And one of the witnesses that we are his children is when he corrects us when we need it. Praise God. And here we see in Romans chapter 8, in these verses, we see the assurance of our salvation because the Holy Spirit is corroborating it within us. Hallelujah. So we are now, Paul says, in a position as being children of God. And because of that, then we are heirs. We are partakers of an inheritance. It secures our inheritance. We are sharers in the inheritance that God has provided. We have a part in it. All of the promises of God, all of the promises of the new covenant, and these are applicable to us now, and we have a share in those through the testator's death, which was Jesus, the Son of the living God, God in the flesh, who came and died on our behalf. I want to read you Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 through 22. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testator, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, Almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no remission. So here we see the necessity of the death of the testator, the very son of the living God, Jesus himself, so that we could then all have the ability to enjoy and obtain and be a sharer in the eternal inheritance that God has for us and we are also joint heirs with Christ. It says here, if we suffer with him. There is an inheritance in Christ. There's an inheritance that we have now obtained eternally of God as heirs of God and joint heirs even with Christ, having a share with him. And it says that after our sufferings are done with Christ, we too will be glorified partake in the state of dignity and approved together with. Not as if we were gods, it's not saying that, but rather a sharer in the inheritance 
as Christ does and as he leads, a sharer in the kingdom. I want to read you a couple of places, and I would direct you to the Passover Passion series, and I did one on portion, and I believe that may help you understand this a little more fully. I'm not going to get into the depths of it, but I am going to read a couple of places and make a couple of comments here that hopefully will help you understand what I mean. In John chapter 13, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, and he comes to Peter, and in verse 8 it says this, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. That comes in reference to the same word. It's talking about a, be a, you will not be a sharer in. You will not have a part in the inheritance. Then turn over, if you have your Bibles, if you're reading along with me, in Luke chapter 22, we see Luke recording for us some of the conversation that went on here, some of the events that happened at the Last Supper, but he also records a couple of other conversations. And we don't know exactly the order of these three points that I'm going to talk about. There is the conversation about, you know, them arguing who's the greatest. We don't know if that happened before the foot washing or after the foot washing or whatever. We don't know exactly the, the order of these events. But there's this argument among them about who's going to be the greatest, etc. And then you have the foot washing, of course, as well, that we just read about, where Jesus tells Peter, if I don't wash your feet also, you will have no part with me. The key I want you to focus on here is that another element of the conversation at some point during this event is recorded for us by Luke. And I want to read beginning in verse 28. But you, Jesus is speaking here and he says, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So this gives us a clue as to what Paul is speaking of here that we become joint heirs with Christ in. And I believe it's in a part, a role in the coming kingdom of the Lord, that we will be partakers in that as some form of a joint heir with Christ. He is going to be worshiped. He is going to be glorified in his coming kingdom all over the earth and sit and rule as king, priest forever from Jerusalem for that thousand years and then in eternity forward beyond that in the new Jerusalem. Praise be to God. But in some way, Paul is saying here that there is a part a share in that, that we will also be granted because we have now become joint heirs with Christ. Now, Paul makes it clear here that, that this is for those we are joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Then he gets to talking about the suffering. Now, none of us like talking about suffering Nobody likes to endure suffering, no matter what it is. But 
Paul is expressing here that suffering in life is no comparison to what awaits us ahead. There is a greater glory ahead. So Paul is using this now to encourage us as well as to teach us. Jesus himself spoke about giving us peace, and he said the reason is because in the world you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have troubles in the world, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. So we keep our focus where it should be on our Lord. So Paul is telling us here there's a comparison, and it's almost as if you're looking at scales and, you know, maybe get this image in your mind that might help you. Scales where there is one weight on one side that's very, very light, and there's another weight on the other side that's extremely heavy. It's the greater weight. And so you will see the scales are not even. The one side with the greater weight is going to be way down, way down. You know, the scale will be way, way, way down. And the lighter weight will be way up high. It has nothing in comparison. That's what Paul is talking about here. The greater weight is the glory that's going to be revealed in us and for us in that coming kingdom when we see the Lord and we obtain in reality that eternal inheritance that we now have become a part in because of our position as children of God. And so that's the greater weight. And he is contrasting that with the lesser weight of the sufferings that we experience today. And this word sufferings speaks of pain that we experience, to experience pain, and it's speaking of, of the same kind or some of the same things that Jesus himself endured. It's talking about enduring corresponding sufferings. For instance, let's take a few. Ridicule and rejection. Jesus suffered quite a bit of ridicule and rejection. And many of us in this life suffer through ridicule and rejection. Betrayal. Jesus suffered betrayal. Many of us suffer betrayal. Persecution. Jesus was persecuted even to the point of death on the cross. Many of us in, the li in our life today may suffer persecution at some level, perhaps even those that are being killed for the sake and the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus endured that also. Pain and agony, physically, emotionally, mentally, there was pain and agony that Jesus also endured in his humanity here on earth. And we endure that in many ways as well. Jesus became our great high priest in that he was tempted in ways that we are. He didn't sin in those, but he became a compassionate high priest because he suffered many of those same temptations. And therefore, he can comfort us in our afflictions as well. So Paul is just simply saying here that today's sufferings, however severe they may be, there is no comparison with the greater glory to come. Now, I want you to think for a minute as we draw to a close here about some of the people that speak about these things, including Paul himself. For instance, 
Jesus, he's the greatest example. He said to us, blessed are you when they persecute you and ridicule you, etc., etc. Because great is your reward in heaven. There's a greater glory ahead. Jesus was one example. Paul, another example. Paul himself, he was persecuted and suffered greatly. I want you to look at something in 2 Corinthians. You can read 2 Corinthians 4, and Paul begins in about verse 7. After that, he begins to list tons of things that happened to him, some very, very severe sufferings that he endured. But notice when he comes down to verse 16 and 17, he says this, and I pray that this will encourage you today because many of you who may hear this may be experiencing some form of these sufferings in this life. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For, or on the basis of, or because of, our light, our reason, is that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Hallelujah. Paul is saying here that when you, you know, consider it like this. If you had a number line, remember when we were in school and you have a number line and there's there's the little dot or whatever that represents kind of the zero. And then you have the number line going every all out to the left with an arrow that way because it doesn't end. And then you've got from that dot or from that center, you've also got the line that, go, that keeps on going to the right. And it's got the arrow because it never ends. And so Paul is saying that eternity is like that. It's infinite. It's timeless. You can't even measure it in any spectrum. So it's similar to a, a number line. And there's a teeny, tiny, minute, little tiny speck that you can't even recognize or identify somewhere on that number line that represents your 50, 60, 80, 100 years of life on this earth, whatever that number may be. And so Paul is saying, there's no comparison. He says, the sufferings of this life are just absolutely light and, and nothing to be compared to the time in timelessness, in eternity, that we will spend in this inheritance that we have now become a sharer in. Praise be to God. So Paul experienced sufferings he could speak authentically about this, and he kept his mind on the greater glory that was ahead. Peter is another example. I would encourage you to read his epistles and, the, and his examples through the book of Acts because he didn't shrink back from persecution, and he taught that many Christians will have to endure persecution. As a matter of fact, he said those that are godly in Christ will have to suffer some form of sufferings and persecution. Then there was Stephen also in Acts chapter 7. 
he was another one that endured all the way to the end. And at the end, he was able to see with his eyes and record for us just a glimpse of the greater glory that was ahead. Praise be to God. So as children of God, we have an inheritance awaiting us that is far more worthy than the sufferings of this life. I want to close with this final scripture passage. In the book of 1 John chapter 3, John writes this in verses 1 through 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Hallelujah. That talks about the first part of what we looked at in Romans 8 today. What manner of love God the Father has bestowed upon us to now through the Holy Spirit and being born again into his family, we can now call him Abba, Father. That's what John is saying here. He goes on and he says, Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He's referring now to the greater glory that's ahead for us. Praise be to God. And notice what he closes this section, verse 3, with. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he, meaning Jesus, is pure. Do you see, beloved, the connection? John is also concurring with Paul and what Paul is telling us here that we are now in a position of being God's children. And it's an amazing thing and love that God has had for us to do that for us. And there's even greater things ahead that we don't, we don't even know and understand yet what's going to be revealed. But how it should affect us is to keep our hope in Him, keep us looking for that day and purifying. Here again, we're talking about our lifestyle that we live in this manner, even if it includes living through sufferings in this life. Because, beloved friend, we got to keep focused on the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, because there is a greater glory ahead. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.